Good morning, everybody, on this great Sunday morning. It's a joy to be with you today. I'm Mark Whited, and I have the privilege of working with the mobilization team here at Crossroads. In recent Sundays, our series has walked us through the role of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And we've been look, looking at and building this foundation of the church being birthed and, and the people, those key people that helped, were leaders in this whole endeavor of, of helping to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth and the powerful role of the Holy Spirit. So today and these next two Sundays, we're going to see how this foundation was built for the church so that the rest of the world could know about the greatness of Jesus. So today, we're going to trace the story about the Antioch church and, as, and the role that the Spirit played within them. And we're going to be walking through several key passages in this journey today. And then we will get to see a dramatic shift that took place in Antioch. And this shift forever changed the trajectory and the influence of the church. Last Sunday in Acts 10, we saw God pouring out his spirit on non-Jewish or Gentile people. And when this happened, the apostle Peter declared, I now realize how true it is that God has, does not show favoritism. But God accepts people from every nation who give their allegiance to Jesus, who is the Lord of all. But this gift, the shift to include Gentiles, it was not easy for the Jewish Christians. It takes time to change any cultural mindset that has maybe been ingrained within us for centuries. So now, let's begin this Antioch adventure by looking at Acts eleven nineteen. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however... Men from Cyprus and Cyrene, Cyrene is from North Africa, they went to Antioch and they began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So now we see that Antioch is in the southwest corner of modern day Turkey. And as you can see, that it's at the intersection of three continents, Africa, to the south, Asia, to the east, and Europe, to the north and west. Antioch was founded about 300 years before Christ by Seleucus, who was one of Alexander the Great's five generals. And they divided up the kingdom after Alexander's death. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire with about half a million people behind Alexandria and Rome. Now think of the major role that today Chicago plays in the, as being the third largest city in the U.S. behind New York City and Los Angeles. 
Now, when we simply just read that verse 21 about these men went to Antioch and began speaking to Greeks about Jesus, the Lord's hand was with them, great numbers of people turned to the Lord, it makes us sound kind of easy, doesn't it? Well, let's give some more context to that situation. So Lucas knew that Antioch was going to be a very multi-ethnic city because of its location being at the intersection of three continents. So many Romans and Greeks were living there from Europe, lots of North Africans, and also many Asians, such as Persians, Indians, and Chinese. At that time, there were very few cities with that significant mix of people from so many distant places. So with that then, when cities were built in this era, they were built as fortresses with high walls around the perimeter. But due to the expected multi-ethnic population, Seleucus then would build 18 smaller walled fortresses inside the perimeter walls. And we can see on those lines on there, those are the, wall, the inside walls of, of Antioch, these walled off sections. Now, why would Seleucus then build these inner walls? He knew that every race, every culture thinks it's superior to all the other ones, everyone. So they did not just build high perimeter walls to protect it from outside enemies. They also built these high walls within the city to protect the ethnic groups from each other. So Lucas knew very well about the great ethnic animosity between these groups and how quickly it could lead into them literally trying to kill each other. So that's why Antioch was built with fortresses inside the fortress. So when Jesus' followers began intentionally talking to other ethnic people other than their own ethnicity, and by going into those other walled quarters or sections of other groups and valuing people that were different than them, that was not the cultural norm. They were doing what Jesus was doing when he went out of his way to go to Samaria to speak with the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. Then numerous other times, Jesus went out of his way to be near other Gentiles or non-Jewish people so that they could be valued by the Son of God. Jesus wanted them to know that this kingdom of heaven that has come near, it was for all people, even them. No, but it took years for that to get through Peter's head and heart, as well as the other disciples. That the people whom they had scorned for centuries were also invited and included in Jesus' family. So how did the Jerusalem church then respond when they heard this news about what was happening in Antioch. Let's read further, Acts eleven twenty two. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. 
The Jerusalem church leaders heard that many people were trusting in Christ at Antioch, but they also heard that many of them were Gentiles. That would have been shocking and disturbing to them. Similarly, if we were to hear of Taliban leaders or Somali warlords coming to Jesus, and then God using them to bring many others to Christ, that would be a big shock for us. We might want to investigate that further. Is that really true? That's part of the reason why Barnabas was sent to Antioch, to see what was true. But when he arrived, Barnabas saw what the grace of God was doing. It was visible. It was tangible. Barnabas saw that this very ethnically diverse group of people interacting together, being set free from shame, guilt, and fear, and then learning how to live their their new identities in Jesus. I love that verbiage. He saw what the grace of God was doing because it takes the focus off of people and personalities. It puts it where it needs to be, related to the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. It was about what was happening collectively, not just through one or two special people. Back to the Taliban leaders, the Somali warlords, it is true. Some have been coming to Christ in recent years and making disciples that is phenomenal. Now remember, the Antioch church was thriving. With that initial leadership from Cyprus and Cyrene, they were thriving before Barnabas showed up. 11.25. Then Barnabas went up to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So Luke, the author of Acts, he uses both Saul and Paul in the scriptures we'll be looking at today. It's the same person. Saul is his Jewish name and Paul is his Greek name. So when Barnabas left for Tarsus to go find Saul, the church in Antioch did not stop. When Barnabas and Saul came back, they joined with the leaders to help teach great numbers of people. It was in conjunction with the church leaders. Verse 26 is powerful. It says, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Christian literally means little Christ or Jesus people. Tim Keller says, the gospel comes to Antioch and something happened that is so astounding that it says for the first time, the disciples of Christ had to be called Christians. Until that time, everybody in the world believed that religion is simply a function of the culture that you were born into. If you were born into a Greek family, you worship the Greek gods. If you're born into an Indian family, you worship the Indian gods. Religion was based on culture. Even in Antioch, Jesus' followers who who had been known there, they were viewed as some kind of a subsect of Judaism. But now with all these non-Jewish people from different cultures living and worshiping with each other, 
caring for the poor and the sick and dying together, they had to have a new description of them. It was little Christ. People were experiencing God in such profound ways. It was uniting people across cultural barriers. The everyday people in Antioch were not merely crossing ethnic and physical walls, but they were by the power of the Spirit crossing their own walls of preconceptions, their own walls of cultural pride and prejudices that they had grown up with. They were crossing these walls because Jesus is greater than every wall. Acts eleven seventeen. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine was spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened in the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, several crazy dynamics were happening in this, in this section. This famine happened, this famine did happen in Claudius's reign in around AD 45, but it had not happened yet when this account was, you know, hap- was written. I mean, it was, was, was realized. So Agabus heard from the spirit about a future famine. That is a bit crazy from our perspective. But what might be even more crazy is this. The non-Jewish people in Antioch gave their money to help people from a different ethnic group, the Jews, unthinkable. And when the famine happened, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were told that this food was provided by followers of Jesus who were not Jewish, but were Gentiles. This rocked their world. It rocked their preconceptions. So in the end, both churches in Antioch, in Jerusalem, they got a greater glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. One other thought about this passage when Barnabas and Paul were being uh, sent to Jerusalem with a famine offering. Paul is a big time wanted man in Jerusalem by the Jewish leaders, but he is willing to risk his life in following Jesus' high priority to care for the poor. In Galatians 2, Paul is retelling a conversation with the Jerusalem church leaders, Peter, James, and John, regarding God sending him and Barnabas to the Gentiles. In Galatians 2.10, Paul says, all they, Peter, James, and John, asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I have been eager to do all along. Now, there are a ton of other things that Peter, James, and John could have told Barnabas and Paul. Now, remember to do blank. But the one thing they did say was to remember the poor, and Paul was eager to do that very thing. Acts 12, 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, They returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. There are two things we see here. 
Barnabas and Saul were sent to Jerusalem under the authority of the Antioch leaders. And then they came back. And please also note, the Antioch church continued to function and thrive even when Barnabas and Saul were not there. Now, Acts 13.1. So now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Mananen, who had been brought up in, with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now what's noticeable, noticeable about these five leaders is their ethnic, cultural, and social diversity, even though their names were all Jewish. Barnabas is from the island of Cyprus, and we know that he was a landowner. Simeon, called Niger, or the black man, was from Africa. Lucius of Cyrene is from modern-day Libya in North Africa. Menen, with his relationship with King Herod, is probably from a higher social class. Saul is from Tarsus in northwest Turkey, who is also a Roman citizen. Now, these five church leaders reflect some of the cultural diversity in Antioch. The people in Antioch would see through them and through others that this good news of Jesus is for everyone, not just one type of person. Also note, two of these five leaders were from Africa. It is easy for us Westerners to overlook the significant role that our African brothers and sisters played in early Christianity. Here's a quick snapshot of the first few centuries of Christianity related to Africa and its people. Simon of Cyrene, North Africa, was forced to carry the cross of Jesus. There were people from Cyrene, North Africa, at the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. The eunuch who served for the queen of Ethiopia had traveled to Jerusalem to worship and was baptized by Philip on the Gaza road on his return. Lucius from Cyrene, Simeon from Afri in Africa were also leaders in Antioch. Then when we fast forward in the next two or three centuries, super strategic Christian leaders like Augustine and Origen were from North Africa. Then lastly, if you, have a, if you have a Bible near you, in the pew rack, or if, whatever, if you would just kind of grab, reach for your, that Bible in front of you now in the pew racks, if you would please, and hold it up. Just hold it right now. The New Testament portion of the Bible that we're holding in our hands was officially determined from all other documents and then was canonized in Tunisia, North Africa, in the third century. The image you see in the screen is the ruins of the church building in Carthage, where church leaders from Africa, Asia, and Europe, where they met to finalize the books to be included in the New Testament. Several of us from Crossroads have had the privilege of standing in that spot. 
So for those of you who are with us today or are joining online who are of African heritage, on behalf of Crossroads, and if I may say, say so, on behalf of the Western Church, we are grateful for the significant role that your forefathers and foremothers played in the establishment of Christianity. We, all of us here, are here today in part because of the faithfulness of our African brothers and sisters in those early centuries and beyond. So today, in Africa, the rate of church growth is astounding. Today, in the United States, the rate of church growth is in decline and has been for a number of years. So the time is now, as American church leaders, we need to begin listening to and learning from our African brothers and sisters, as well as our brothers and sisters from South America and from Southeast Asia, where the church is dynamically growing. In two weeks, on October 17th, we will get to hear some of those astounding stories from Africa. One of our Crossroads Global partners, Steve Larmy, will be preaching on the Holy Spirit's role in Ephesus. He'll be interlacing it with stories about what God is doing in Africa. We will be greatly encouraged by the depth of impact that Africa Young Life is having across the continent with both kids and with adults. And also today, when you came in, you may have picked up one of these uh, cards by the communion cups. We are excited then, also on October 17th, just to announce our 2022 globally related trips and opportunities. There will be opportunities here in Evansville, a few hours away, and internationally. So stay tuned for more details. So now let's pick up the Antioch story in Acts 13, too, where it says, while the church leaders, and I'm sure others, were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, and set apart Saul and Barnabas. Now that would have, you know, they would have come to this regular time of worship and fasting with a posture of expectancy for what the Lord may want to say to them whether it had to be with how they needed to better love the certain person in their, in, their, in their church family or how to love somebody that they have perceived as an enemy or caring for a sick or dying person from another ethnicity or maybe to hear the Spirit's voice like, okay, we need to go into the Persian area of the city and build friendships there and share the gospel there. The Antioch leaders and their church truly became a culture-changing, paradigm-shifting powerhouse by regularly listening and obeying and being transformed by what the Holy Spirit spoke to them. So continuing on now with Barnabas and Paul being sent out in Acts 13.4, the two of them were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Now from Cyprus, they went on to many other cities. 
where they preached the gospel in all kinds of contexts to both Gentiles and Jews. I encourage you to read those stories and those chapters of the book of Acts. Powerful, good, good stuff. But then as they planted new churches, one of the most important things they did along the way is found in 1423. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. And with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Local elders were appointed to shepherd and lead these churches was a super high priority for Paul and Barnabas so that they could be sustained and then carry on the right DNA. Then for the third time, what we've read today in the Antioch story, we see with prayer and fasting. May we individually and collectively grasp what is God saying to us regarding the practice of prayer and fasting for our lives in the life of crossroads and beyond. I must say that fasting is a mystery, but it is part of the practice and power of being little Christ. If you want to learn more about, how, about ways to listen to God, there are some suggestions on the Crossroads online discipleship tool called the Roadmap. You can check out Learn the Spirit's Voice. It's under Be With God. So as we move forward in being little Christ, Jesus is inviting us to ask him, to listen to him. Where do we need to go out of our way like Jesus? Where do we need to go that is maybe beyond what we're seeing right now? Just like Jesus did with the Samaritan woman. Even though we may not have physical walls like Antioch in our community and workplaces, but we know that those walls exist. So let's join with Jesus in his great adventure of going out of our way to help bring a taste of the kingdom of heaven to those who are overlooked, forgotten, or in great need. And we're gonna be introducing some new uh, once a month course called Explore that's gonna help to help inspire and kind of give some vision to doing that very thing about moving beyond where we are in all the contexts where we live today. As we head into the home stretch, now let's look at Acts 14:26. From Italia, they said they'll sail back to Antioch, where they have been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened up the door of faith to Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So Paul and Barnabas reported back to the Antioch church after this trip, just as they did after Jerusalem. So because they were functioning as sent ones from the Antioch church and leadership. Now Barnabas and Paul are definitely two of the heroes of this story. But the other unnamed church leaders beyond Simeon, Lucius, and Manon, all these other unnamed people besides them, they are just as much heroes as Paul and Barnabas. Due to their devotion to Jesus, their leadership, they're taking risks for the gospel, they're obeying the Holy Spirit, they're persevering in a very challenging environment in Antioch and beyond. So the good news is, is that what happened in Antioch did not stay in Antioch. From Antioch in southwest Turkey, 
The gospel moved in all directions. This new kingdom of Jesus transcended and impacted men and women, poor and wealthy, in all spectrum of different ethnicities. It was not just a religion of a majority culture. It was for the people of every culture and every language. This kingdom movement of everyday people was literally turning the Roman Empire upside down. What's one example of how we, how we know that? In 112 AD, a few decades kind of after the book of Acts, Pliny, a Roman governor in northern Turkey, wrote a letter to Rome, the Roman emperor Trajan. Pliny wrote to the emperor to confirm that he was following the proper protocol when he executed Christians who, were, who refused to deny the lordship of Jesus. In his letter to Trajan, Pliny described the growing movement that was taking place in his region in northern Turkey. Quote, this movement involves such large numbers of endangered people from all ranks, ages, and both sexes. This contagious superstition, Christianity, is not confined to the cities, but it has spread to villages in rural districts. The temples have been almost deserted and demand for animal sacrifices is significantly down. Wow, what a powerful picture of the growth and saturation of the church written by a non-Christian. In another section of the letter, Pliny refers to two slave women who were called deaconesses and whom he had interrogated, tortured, and killed. But he learned that their practice was to meet with others before sunrise in remote places, to sing hymns to Christ, and to bind themselves by oath to not steal, commit adultery, or renounce their allegiance to Jesus. We clearly see from Pliny's letter the depth and breadth of the movement the gospel was happening among ordinary people in every sector of life. Emperor Trajan replied to Pliny, telling him that his practices with the superstition were accurate. Then Pliny, therefore, then greatly stepped up the investigations, the tortures, and the killings. So much so that Pliny later wrote in a return letter to, to Trajan, he said the strategy was working and that the number of people going back to the temples and the sale of animals was going up back to normal. In Revelation 12, there's a powerful declaration that has been used by the church for centuries. This declaration would have been the heartbeat of those two deaconesses and many others who have followed in their footsteps in being faithful to Jesus, no matter the circumstances. And so I'd like to have us, this can be on the screen now, and I want us to read this out loud together. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled 
down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. That is why the kingdom of heaven on earth continued to grow and could not be snuffed out. That was the DNA of the Antioch church. That was a DNA which spread from Antioch and eventually west to us. Those are whose shoulders we are standing on. Let's pray. Jesus, may we ever always, by the power of your spirit, keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and finisher of our faith. May we let nothing else usurp your place as our greatest allegiance. May we live out the fullness of your calling and design in our being little Christ. May it be so. Amen.